You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. All right. This is Sunday morning, March 5th. I cannot believe how fast time is flying. Holy moly. I'm still in um, uh, Genesis, of course. (laughs) But um, Isaac takes a wife. This is good. Um, at this point in the story, um, Abraham's 140 and Isaac is 40. And it's time for Isaac to take a bride. Um, of course, and um, this is all factual. I mean, you know, th- these stories really happened. Abraham existed. And Isaac existed, Jacob existed, and the story of their lives existed. But the thing that's so cool about it is you can see um, this universal God, the God that created the universe, looking, you know, looking at the story that he'd already laid out in his heart as it plays out in the material realm. Um, it, it was already completed in him before he ever said light be. But now it's all playing out. And um, in in Isaiah, he says, I'm the God that tells the end from the beginning. He says it in, in um, Lamentations too. I am the God that tells the end from the beginning. So all of these life stories, real life stories, are also allegories of what's happening um, on a in the spirit realm, you know, in a, in a different level for all of us. So all the characters in his stories um, have an allegorical parallel. Um, so they represent other things. Abraham is always the quintessential patriarch, the strong head of the house. In fact, the first two letters of his name, Aleph Bet, um, those two letters are Aleph is the strong head. If you could see the ancient picture of an Aleph, the, the Hebrew letter Aleph, it looks like a bull's head. And Bet looks like an, a tent. So it, he is the strong head of the house. Um, and, and you and I would say Abba. That's um, uh, what God is to us, you know. We have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So Abraham is a type of God the Father, the strong head of the house, Abba. And Isaac is a type of Jesus, of Yeshua, in that he is the only son of Abba, okay? The son that was laid on the sacrificial altar, um, And um, the parallels between Isaac and Jesus we've been through, but they're breathtaking. You know, the amount of parallels is just breathtaking in their stories. So Isaac is a type of the only son. And once Isaac came down that mountain with his father and was restored, you know, now he is sitting at the right hand of his father here on the earth. He is the heir apparent for everything. 
then there's a new character that we haven't talked about in a long time, and, and he is the servant, the faithful servant. Um, most Jewish scholars especially, but Christian scholars as well, agree that this was probably Eleazar, um, the, the, uh, the, the servant that was mentioned in, I think, Genesis 15, when God appears and he says, Abraham, <coughs> your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. And Abraham says, how can I have descendants when, the, when Eleazar, my servant, is the one that's going to take over my house when I die? And um, so most people believe that this is Eleazar, that he would, he's been with Abraham for so long. Um, and um, so Eleazar becomes, for Abraham, a type of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that goes into the world in search of the bride of Christ. And, and he draws and he woos. He's searching for the bride of Christ. And then you come to little Rebecca. Rebecca is a type of the church, the bride of Christ. And Rebecca lives in the world. Haran, which is where they believe um, the rest of Abraham's family lives. Um, Haran is a type of the world. And really... That whole part of the family who know Yahweh have become idol worshipers. Laban is the worst, an idol worshiper. And um, so they are a type of the world. And so Eleazar is sent into the world to draw the bride for Isaac, to find the perfect bride. And um, Laban is a type of you know, the master of the world. He's the, the greedy, sneaky, shyster, always out for himself, which is just, it's the type of the world, the way the world is. Everything is fleshly, every desire met, every, you know, instant gratification, any way you can get what you want. And he truly was an, an idolater. Um, you find that much later, um, after Jacob um, finally gets his little wife, um, Rachel. But... Um, Anyway, so Laban and the household are a type of the world. And the world is always going to pull on you. It's always going to be a drain on you, pull you back. Now, I'm going to give you the rest of the, the allegory, although we're not going to touch on this until Jacob. You know, the rest of this we won't touch until we get to Jacob. But um, Jacob, whose name is eventually changed to Israel, becomes the descendants of the nation of Israel through his 12 sons. And the nation of Israel is an allegory for the wife of Abba, the wife of the father. They're not the bride. They become the wife of Abba. Um, let me just show you an example of it. Um, Look in Jeremiah chapter 3. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 3. And God is speaking to Israel. And he's really mad at Israel. Because Israel has been an unfaithful wife. She has polluted herself with idols. Um, she's not going after her husband with love. She's going after the world, okay? So God speaks to Israel, and he speaks to her 
as his wife. The, the reason that is so poignant is because um, it's out of the womb of Israel that Jesus is born, the God of the Father. And so um, that's why Israel is looked upon as the bride, I mean, as the wife of the Father and not the bride of Christ. Um, sometime we'll go back through the wedding story and talk about that again, but um, Israel, pure Israel, is going to be the wife of the Father. And um, do you know what? Because you taught us in Hosea, mm-hmm. and 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 God kept telling Hosea to take her back, and He yep. keeps taking back Israel. He does. That's right. And Gomer was his oh, wife, yeah. and yep, that's a whole, that's another yeah. allegorical story. He said, "I want your life to be the story about me and Israel." And um, here He's literally mm-hmm. speaking to Israel about this. Um, all right, verses one and two. Then we're going to skip to eight. Verses 1 and 2. They say, if a man put away his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, shall he return to her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet you return again to me, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the high places and see where you have not been uh, lain with. In the ways have you sat for them as the... uh, I'm sorry... As the Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your whoredoms and with your wickedness. Now skip down to verse 8. And I saw when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. Adultery is, is unfaithfulness in marriage. So here he is looking at his wife here. He's talking about putting his wife away from him. Um, committed adultery, and I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Now look at 12 through 14. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return you backsliding Israel, says the Lord, and I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, says the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice. Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So God looks at Israel then as as his wife, all right? So she's the other part of that story. And um, Jesus, of course, then, you know, plays out in the parallel with, with Isaac. So you can see the allegory. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, but the Holy Spirit now is sent for the bride. And when the Holy Spirit goes into the world, he drew, draws and he woos you and I. You know, he's the one that stirs the heart. He's the one, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the one on people that causes us to, you know, to soften our hearts and to begin to receive Jesus as Lord. Um, He draws us, and once we accept, then he begins to transform us and to beautify us. We immediately put on, you know, that bridal gown, the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of God in Jesus. And we immediately begin to be beautified. 
Now, usually once a bride is taken, she has a year or so before she goes to live with the groom. Um, and in that year, she prepares to become the wife. And that's what you and I are doing now. We've already been born again. We, we, we have the wedding dress. We, we have the ring in our nose. We have all those promises. But what we're doing right now is preparing to be the bride. So what are we doing? We're sitting right here around this table, feeding on the word, learning about Jesus, learning how to walk this out, learning what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. We are preparing uh, to be the bride. And the Holy Spirit's here, and he's beautifying and working in each one of us and giving us revelation and teaching us things um, as we go. And we're on our journey now to meet the groom. I mean, you know, we're on that path to meet the groom. And um, so as we go through this story, um, you're going to kind of see this all play out exactly this way. Um, so let's just start in Genesis 24. We'll read the first nine verses and, um, and go from there. This is the longest chapter in Genesis, actually. <clears throat> but we'll go through it kind of fast because we take it in big chunks. Okay, first nine verses here. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray you, your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you will go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring your son again into the land from whence you came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you bring not my son there again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spoke to me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto your seed I will give this land, he shall send his angel before you. And you will take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you shall be clear from this oath. Only bring not my son there again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning that matter. Okay. Like I said earlier, consensus is, and this is not just Christian authors, but even the Jewish Targum authors, um, believe that this was Eleazar. Um, and, and we know that Eleazar has been with Abraham more than 54 years, 60 plus years probably. Um, where he came from was Syria. So he obviously um, was acquired by Abraham while he was in Haran, because Haran's up in Syria. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So anyway, um, if you think about it, Eleazar was there long before um, Ishmael was born, okay? Isaac is 40, and you add those 14 years for Ishmael, that's 54 years at least that Eleazar has been a servant to Abraham. 
So people believe that he's been there at least 54, probably 60 plus years with Abraham. And so he is the one that like before Abraham had um, Isaac or Ishmael, if Abraham had died, then um, Eleazar was second in command. So while the inheritance wouldn't belong to him, it would fall into his possession to administrate um, Abraham's possessions for his wife and for all that he owned. It would have fallen into his hands, so in a way he would have inherited it anyway. So um, Eleazar was that high up, and he was the only one that Abraham could trust with this. Do you have any idea the thing of putting the hand under the thumb? I'm fixing to explain that, yeah. In fact, it's actually, it's a pretty common <clears throat> custom even now in the Middle East. When you want someone to promise you something that is almost inescapable, they cannot get out of it. The practice is, is to lay the hand down on the ground, palm up. You get down on your knees and you put your hand down on the ground, palm up. Then the person that's asking the favor kneels down and puts his knee in the palm of your hand. So that, and his full weight is on that knee. It's very painful, you know, but you, it's, it's inescapable. It's one of those places that you cannot escape from because the full weight of the person has you in such a position that you have no leverage, no power. And um, so Abraham had it, the servant put his hand down and then Abraham knelt down and put his knee right in the palm of the servant's hand. So that the servant, this was like an inescapable oath. Isn't that cool how that, yeah. how that is? <clears throat> but this was an oath that <clears throat> Eleazar was not going to be able to get out of. Um, <clears throat> and so while he was down there, God says, you know, Abraham tells him, he says, this is what I want. And then he kneels down on Eleazar's hand and he said, do you swear to this oath? And Eleazar says, yes, I swear to this oath. And it is an inescapable oath. And he has to do it exactly the way Abraham outlines it. So Abraham says, don't, don't go in my area where the Canaanites are. That's Ham's kids. I want you to go back. Most people think Haran up in, up, up in Syria it would be like northeast uh, of Israel. And it's about almost 500 miles from where they were to, back to Haran. Um, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So most of the, um, uh, most of the people in the whole area were Ham's descendants. Uh, there were some of Shem's descendants, but he wasn't going to take a chance. So he says, you go back to my direct family line and you bring a bride from my direct family line. Cause I know that's a good line and, um, bring that bride to Isaac. And then he says three different times, he says, do not take Isaac into that land. Whatever you do, do not take him back. God called me out of that place and I have brought my family out and, and we're not going back. So you cannot take my son back to that land. Okay. Now, eventually the, the, um, the heirs of, of Abraham are going to control all that land. They don't now. But, I mean, you know, all the way from the Tigris and Euphrates all the way over um, and over into Egypt, over to the Nile and all that land is going to be under Israel's control. Has never happened yet, but that's the promise from, 
for Abraham. So, but Abraham says at this point, my son is not to go back there. Okay. Now think about this. Jesus, who's already paid the bride price. You know, he went to the cross. He paid the bride price. He's already seated at the right hand of the father. He's already there. Isaac paid his bride price in the sense that he, he sacrificed himself. He laid down on that altar, you know. And um, he, he, um, when he came up off that altar, he's now at the right hand of Abraham running everything. So Isaac is not going back into that land. Jesus is not coming back into this land until, he con until he's the conqueror. You and I are going to rise in the air to meet him. The Holy Spirit is going to lift us up in the air. He's going to take us to Jesus. He's not going to come and put his feet down here either. So um, here's that picture of the Holy Spirit preparing the bride and taking the bride to Jesus, to Isaac, okay? And he says, take a wife from my kin, from Isaac, okay? But be sure, you know, he, he's, he's the right, she's the right one. You know, that, that was in the heart of his dad, I'm sure. So, um, like I said, nobody knows for sure where Nahor's family lives. It just says Mesopotamia um, when you read it. But Mesopotamia covers everything from Ur to Haran. Um, so, most people say Haran is where he was. Because there are places where um, uh, Nahor is referred to as a Syriac or a Syrian. So, most people say he was probably in Haran. Is Nahor a person? Yes. Somehow related to all these people? Yes. Okay, let me give you the family tree there. Um, okay. Um, Nahor um, was Abraham's brother. Okay? okay? Nahor and Abraham are brothers. So, Abraham gave birth to Isaac. All right. Now, on Nahor's side, Nahor had Bethuel. Yeah, okay. So, Bethuel and Isaac would have been first cousins. But then Bethuel had two kids, Laban and Rebekah. And so, that would have made them like second cousins. Isaac and Rebekah would have been like second cousins. And um, so, um, <clears throat> anyway, so... The servant starts on his trip. And um, so let's pick up reading again in verse 10. Now this is, you know, you have to realize having a camel was like driving a Mercedes Benz, okay? Anybody that had uh, camels, that was a mark of wealth. I mean, that's extreme wealth, all right? This servant took 10 of all of his camels to go up to Haran. 10 camels loaded with riches, gold and silver and jewels and whatever else, plus living supplies because it's going to take them almost a month to get there. Um, if you calculate it out, it's going to take them about... Um, 20 days to get there. Um, traveling by camels. Camels go pretty fast in the desert. But they're like, they really are. They're like the Mercedes Benz of travel. 
in, in the desert. And um, so <laughs> this servant takes 10 with him. Could you imagine that? And um, laden with all his stuff, wonderful things for the bride and for his family because there's a bride price to be paid there. Okay. And he, and he takes off heading for Nahor's in Mesopotamia. I don't know what your other translations have, but Mesopotamia is what the King James has here. And um, it says Mesopotamia in, um, uh, in the Tanakh. So here we go. Um, so he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Verse 11. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray you send me good speed this day. And show kindness to my master Abraham. <coughs> Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I say, Let down your pitcher, I pray you, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. Let the same be she that you have appointed for your um, servant Isaac. And thereby I shall know that you have showed kindness to my master. Um, the whole story takes place at a well, which if you notice, a lot of stories take place around the well. Water is always a type of the Holy Spirit. A well is a type of the restoration of life or new life or um, um, refreshing Okay, which is exactly in the spirit what the Holy Spirit is. He is the rivers of water that flow out of your belly. He's the wellspring of life that springs up in you when you get born again. And um, so here they are by the well. The Holy Spirit, or old Eleazar, interceding because, you know what, what Paul says, we don't know how we should pray as we, should, as we ought. But the Holy Spirit, you know, makes intercessions for us. So here's the Holy Spirit interceding and praying that God um, would bring exactly the right person. And so he says to the Lord, he says, let it be this one. Because all the women come out to the well at that time of day. Um, usually early morning and late afternoons are when the women come to the well to get water for their families. Um, <clears throat> it was, you know, in the middle of the day when Jesus met the, the woman at the well um, in Sychar. And um, she was an outcast, so she couldn't come in the early morning or the evening, you know. And um, so he met her at, at noon. But um, most of the women would come out. So there'd be a lot of women there <clears throat> drawing water. And um, he says, this is the way I, I want to know her, Lord, if you can do this. If I ask for water, if this woman gives me a drink, and then she says, and let me water your camels as well, then I'll know that that's the one that you have chosen for um, Isaac. So that was his prayer. And, and that was the sign that he set up. And when he was finished praying, I mean, just barely finished praying, Rebecca shows up. Um, so look at verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, 
that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of your pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted. Can you imagine how much water she'd have to draw to feed ten camels who'd been in the desert for 20 days? Unreal. And when she had done giving him drinks, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they've done drinking. And she hasted, <clears throat> hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. The man, wondering at her, held his peace to with the, whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. There's the Holy Spirit in awe that God had so quickly answered his prayer and and he's just waiting for the confirmation in his spirit to know that she's the one. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands, ten shekels weight of gold. Now, <clears throat> the servant had confirmation from the Lord. This is the woman. And immediately, now this says earring in my Bible. That's a bad translation. It's literally nose ring. If you will run into this later, uh, 10 or 12 chapters down the road here, but, but earrings are really noted with, and don't take this personally, ladies, because I have some too, but they're noted with sorcery. <clears throat> earrings are noted for enchantments and spells and things like that back in this day. So, no, he wouldn't want to put an earring in her ear. But it was a nose ring. And that's still a custom for the day. You see these beautiful Arabian women with, with, you know, with jewels and things on their noses. And um, <clears throat> the, the, um, the ornamentation on the nose ring or whatever, the gold, the silver, or the jewel that's there is a mark of affluence. You know, you can... You can look and tell whether somebody's wearing cubic zirconia or real diamonds hanging out of their ears and what have you. And, and we do notice those things. And um, <clears throat> so he put this pure gold nose ring in her nose immediately, which is a mark that she's spoken for. You know, she's spoken for. He immediately does what the Holy Spirit does. He begins to try to beautify us, you know, to, to draw us, to beautify us. Because he knows this is the one that the Lord has sent him to today. Today's the day I'm sending you to this person. Um, <clears throat> in Jonathan's Targum, which is kind of neat, he says that this half shekel weight um, is exactly the amount of taxes that um, the head of the house would pay on each person in his house at the temple. So, you know... This is a type of um, paying the tax, the earthly, the worldly tax, and setting her free from any obligation to the world. In the spirit, that's, you know, the type of what that is. It sets her free from any 
obligation to the world. Her tax is paid. Her worldly tax is paid. And uh, <clears throat> so in a sense, it frees her uh, from any worldly draw, any, anything that she would owe the world um, so that she's free to come. And the Holy Spirit does that. You know, he severs things in our lives when, I mean, if you think back, you can see his thumbprints all over your life. You know, cutting things loose, pushing you around, getting you to the place where you need to be. Um, and that's exactly what's happening here. He's cutting her loose from the world. He's paying off any debt that she would owe to the world. He's beautifying her. He's drawing her with promise of, you know, uh, of better things. And um, then he puts two bracelets of gold worth ten shekels each um, on her arms. The, the, uh, the Jewish authors, again, and the Targum say those bracelets represent the Ten Commandments, you know, um, worth ten shekels each, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, which I can see that on their part. I, I'm not sure that I just go along with that 100%, but um, why not? You know, it works for me. Um, and straight away, he asked her, he said, can, can we get lodging at your house? Because I need to talk to your dad. You know, he's going to go and make this bride negotiation um, um, for Rebecca. And um, so let's pick up again reading... Verse 23, and he said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, I pray you. Is there room in your house for us to lodge in? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. And she said, moreover to him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the God of my master Abraham, who has not left us destitute has not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So, I mean, who would have imagined that the one girl that came out, he's traveled 500 miles, give or take a mile or two, and the first person he runs into happens to be the daughter of his father's, you know, of his master's family. Only God does that. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. It was only proper for a girl to go to her mother to speak. Uh, a woman was not allowed to approach the head of the house um, directly. It was to, up to the head of the house to say, you know, you can uh, approach me. Um, we're going to run into that too when we get to Jacob. But um, so she went to her mother and her mother got the word to Laban, her brother. Okay. Um, <clears throat> verse 29. And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man under the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring, or the nose ring, and the bracelets on his sister's hands, when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spoke the man to me, that he came unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, you blessed of the Lord. 
There, why do you stand without? For I have prepared the house and a room for the camels. And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels and gave strong provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. Okay. So here's Laban. It's interesting. We don't hear Nahor's name mentioned, and we don't hear Beth Bethuel's name mentioned anymore other than family line. So we assume that Nahor and Bethuel have passed away and that Laban now has become the man of the house. And Laban sees the gold ring in, her, in his sister's nose and those bracelets. And he takes off running after this guy. And he goes to the well. And it's important to understand. He said he saw the man standing. Okay. <clears throat> the word there, Ahmad, standing, means raised over as if defending or protecting. So, um, here on the ground were ten camels, and this man standing over them, defending and protecting them. Um, that is a confirmation. Usually, if you're just a tired traveler and it's just you and a couple of camels, you know, you just fall over on the ground and lay down and rest. But um, if you are guarding great wealth and you are guarding ten camels, this is a sign. Uh, this is a sign of affluence um, that the servant would never sit down but be protecting ten camels. Oh my gosh, laden with all kinds of good stuff. Um, and so when, when it says he was standing, that's an important sign um, that Laban knew right away this guy was extremely wealthy or represented a very wealthy family. Not knowing who, it didn't even matter. He was going to invite this stranger into his house no matter what because he could smell that money. And Laban is exactly like that. He's a sneaky shyster. And all he's out for is himself, always. He's out for himself. And this is interesting too, Laban, although he was raised, you know, by Nahor, Abraham's brother, and Bethuel, he's an idol worshiper. He knows the Lord God of Abraham, he knows who he is, but he's chosen in the face of knowing who that God is to worship idols. Um, and you'll find that later on because... Um, his idols are stolen from him when Jacob leaves. So, um, you know he's an idol worshiper, which is so strange to me that they have gone so far over into the world, but they did. Um, they went totally over, and Laban is just the picture-perfect type of the world. You know, self-gratification, satisfying the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, pride of life, it's all there. All that's in the world, um, First John. All that's in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And that's Laban to a T. So um, the servant came and, and was clearly, you know, got refreshed a little bit. And Laban's fixing to put a big meal in front of him. So now we're, we're moving toward this, this covenant meal of friendship. Laban's quick to want to put that on the table, you know. And the servant says, wait, before we eat a meal with you, and before I get into this kind of covenant with you, I, I have business to do with you. Um, interesting that he refused to eat that meal 
until after the business was done. But he was a wise man. You know, you don't want to get into that kind of covenant meal before you've made your deal. Especially not with Laban. So God was being very uh, upfront with this servant when he says, don't eat that meal until you've done business. But Laban is so quick to want to do that. You know, let's be buddies here. Um, so let's go back to the story here. Um, let me see where I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, verse 33, and let's go. And there was set meat before him to eat. And he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord has blessed my master greatly. He has become great and has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and manservants and maidservants and camels and asses. Can you imagine Laban just frothing at the mouth over this list and panting to see what this man has brought for a bride price here? Because I'm sure he's got that in his mind. Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him has he given all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife to my son. And he said to my master, Peradventure the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Then you will be clear from this my oath. When you come to my kindred, and if they give not you one, you shall be clear of my oath. And I came this day to the well, and I said, O oh, Lord of my master Abraham, if now you do prosper my way, which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it will come to pass. When the virgin comes forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Both drink you, and I will draw for your camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down into the well and drew water. And I said to her, Let me drink, I pray you. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her, and I said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom milk I bear to him. And I put the earrings upon her face and the bracelet upon her hands. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my servant Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. Now, if you deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or the left. And then Laban... And Bethuel, excuse me, there he is, answered and said, The thing proceeds from the Lord, and we cannot come unto you bad or good. We cannot speak unto you bad or good. Um, behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. 
and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah and he also <coughs> to her brother and to her mother precious things. He also gave to her brother and her mother precious things. <coughs> so as far as Laban was concerned, the world was concerned, the bride price was going to be just fine. Take her and go. Take her. We'll be glad to let you have her. And... um once the deal was done, then the servant sat down to eat the meal so that there was no way that Laban could, you know, twist the deal or anything else. And they sat down and ate the meal. Um, okay, let's just keep moving. I'd love to get through this today. We got seven minutes. We might be able to do this. Okay. <clears throat> so he said, take her and go. They're happy to do it. So 54. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him. And they tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning and said, send me away to my master. And that's the way the Holy Spirit is. He says, you choose. This day I put before you life and death. This day. Choose life that you, you may live, right? It's always this day. But the world always says, you know what, uh, just hang out with us a little bit longer. You, you have, yeah, you know, you got plenty of time to give your life to the Lord. Don't, don't hurry. You want to have a little fun before you, you know, before you do that. And um, the world is always trying to keep you from choosing. So here, the servant gets up in the morning and he says, now I'm going and I'm going to take her with me if it's all right. And 55, and her brother and her mother said, Oh, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten. Then after that she'll go. But he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We'll call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. Okay, so now the world is saying, Okay, you choose. We'll, we'll go along with that. You choose. Stay with us. Stay with us. Right? And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So the world can't choose for you. The Holy Spirit can't choose for you. Only you can choose. Only you. And Rebecca said, I will go. When she chose that, she's well aware that she is turning her back on everything she's known all her life. And she is never coming back there. She is never going to see that again. She is going a place where she doesn't even know. But she is trusting this servant to get her to the place where she belongs. So it's the same with us. When you receive the Lord Jesus, you haven't seen him face to face yet. You know, all we have is the word of the Holy Spirit telling us, describing what he's like, drawing us and wooing us and leading us to Jesus. He always leads you straight to Jesus. But just like Rebecca, by faith we say, okay, old things have passed away. The old life is gone. We leave it behind. 
and all things are new. And Rebecca stepped out and followed the old servant, you know, just like you and I step out and follow the Holy Spirit. We're not sure where we're going, but we're on the journey, you know. We haven't seen Jesus face-to-face -face yet, but we will. You know, we haven't seen our groom face-to-face -face yet, but we will. So Rebecca said, I will go. All right, 59. And they, they blessed Rebecca and said to her, You are our sister. Be the mother of thousands of millions and let your seed possess the gate of those which hate them. How prophetic is that? What's because that mean, those that hate them. Well, if you possess the gate, whatever city you possess the gate of, you possess the city. Because you control who comes and goes. So if you control the gates of the city, then you control the city. So she said, he says, whoever, you know, whoever hates you, whoever comes after you, your enemies, may you control the gates of their cities. In other words, will you, may you be on top of them. Well, prophetically, you know, it's through Rebecca and Isaac that Jesus is born, you know. And, and so Rebecca, just like Sarah, becomes the mother of hundreds of millions. And, um... Jesus will control the gates of the cities. He will control the gates of the cities. So it's very prophetic here on what they spoke over her. And Rebecca arose and her damsels, so she took some maidens with her. And they rode upon the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. You're going to meet one of these girls, not exactly meet her, but she's going to cross our paths um, down the road um, in Jacob's life, um, one of these ladies um, that went with Rebecca, the one that was closest to her. So now Rebecca is on the trip, and they got three weeks traveling back. I remember somebody, you know, talking about this, and, and you do wonder, you think, what do you think Rebecca was asking this old servant all the time? You know, what does he look like? Is he cute? Is he handsome? What's he act like? How is he? Is he nice? Is he gruff? Wouldn't you be doing that, you know? And don't we do the same thing? We get into the Word and we go, what is he like? What is his heart like? What does he have to say about things? What does he think about stuff? That's where we are today. We're, we're learning the groom. We're learning his heart. We're learning everything about him on our way to meet him. 62, and Isaac came from the way of the well, Lehoi, Lehiroi. Um, so Isaac is coming from the well, the well of life, the well of water, the well of refreshing. And he dwelt in the south country, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventime. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted from the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walks in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. And therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that, had, that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Rebekah... And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Beautiful picture, isn't it? Oh, it's a great story. Absolutely beautiful picture um, of Rebecca 
you know, getting off the camel and going to meet him, you know, and him coming to meet her. But, um, yeah, it just, it's such an awesome story. And so, love at first sight, I think. I think, I have this I picture, think. she lighted off the camel. I mean, there's all things. She yeah, jumped jumps off. off the camel <laughs> and, <laughs> and ran to him. Kept her veil Covers on. the veil and goes, away she goes. I know it, exactly. Um, never doubting, never wondering, just full, you know, full-hearted, right into his arms. And, that's, a great, that's a beautiful story, and, and mm -hmm. the, the way it parallels the allegory or whatever you call it, that's, that's incredible. Isn't it? I mean, you know, and the thing is, is this is a real-life story that played itself out, and yet God who is orchestrating, you could just see him orchestrating it like a, like a symphony, you know. Everything has a, a flow to it, and a flow goes all the way to the end. The story uh, doesn't stop, and it's, and it's told over and over and over again. Every part of it. I mean, the world story is told, and people that get caught up in, get caught up in the world, and where the blessing is, how you get out from under the blessing, into the curse, what happens in those situations and all the way through it you see God's love God's faithfulness and the power of the Holy Spirit moving regardless of what we do you know God is orchestrating the whole thing um, yeah this I'm loving doing Genesis I'm loving it I um, I'm just so thankful to have it um, okay so um, oh today is March the 5th Okay, well, I'll be back then in two weeks. And we'll pick up with the next exciting adventure. The kids come. The war begins. Mm-hmm. Jacob and Esau. And Rebecca gets a little bit. Oh, I know. Rebecca still has a little of the world in her. And don't we all? Yep. And don't that's we all? the other part. It just shows us over and over that everybody's human and we all just everybody's that's exactly right and you know the thing that's so beautiful about this part of it is that um this is before the law was given so in all their mess and and everything they do that's just wait it 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 gets messy um sin is not imputed all everybody here lives under grace the grace that's provided by Jesus who was crucified from the foundations of the world. Sin is not imputed until the law is given. Once the Ten Commandments are given, then sin is imputed. And, you know, and then Jesus comes to fill up the law. In other words, pay for every sin, every sin um, under the law, every sin. So that now, once he rose from the dead, we can live under grace again. You know, those who reject him live under the law. The law is for unbelievers. They have the rules. But for those of us who accept Jesus and we move out of, um, out of our own life and we, we're hidden in Christ Jesus, now you go back again to this hidden in his life. We're in his life. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, like Paul says, where there is no law, sin is not imputed. So, sin is not imputed to us. God doesn't have that chalkboard up there in heaven keeping track of it. 
It's all, it's all paid for. So people don't go to hell for the sins they committed. They go to hell for not receiving Jesus' payment for everything they've ever done. You know, they reject it. And the law is simply the yardstick to let them know that God is just, that, they, that there's a reason that Jesus went to that cross. So, so we, in Christ Jesus, um, our life is hid in him, our old life is gone. You know, we have new DNA, we have a new life. We have the same lifeline as Jesus has now. And um, so sin is not imputed. Well, that doesn't mean you don't mess up, doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes, but sin is not imputed to us. We still live under grace. And the Holy Spirit is still doing his work in us because we're still the bride waiting to meet, meet you know, um, Jesus. So he chews on us and gnaws on us and works on us. That's Hebrews 12. You know, he, he, the word scourges there means chews on you and, and changes you. He wants to transform you in whatever you, you keep doing that's wrong. You know, it's not imputed to you as a sin, but it is a flaw in your character so that he has to fix that. So you're presented blameless before him. In other words, without any defects before him. So he takes care of the defects. But when you get under sin, then you're trusting yourself. When you get under the law, then you're trusting yourself to get yourself out. So if you're trusting, confessing your sins to get forgiven, where's your faith? Your faith is in confessing your sins. Because if you don't confess your sins, then you're not forgiven. See, faith is you believe Jesus paid for those sins already. And you receive that forgiveness. It's, it's a tricky deal. It is a tricky deal. And it's splitting hairs, but it's, it's a chasm, you know. We've been taught one way. We've been taught to think one way. But, but honestly, sin's not imputed. So you don't have to worry about it, you know, if you confess your sins. What if you miss one? I mean, you know, are you you're going to just go around that thing hanging around like a hanging, you know, just something hanging in your face the whole time because you missed one? That one's unforgiven, so how are you going to deal with that? You know, it, it's, you can't trust yourself to be able to confess every sin. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing. That That's not a faith. That's trusting what you do, sacrificing doing all the washings, living by the law, everything you do, you're trusting what you do to make yourself holy because Jesus is not a part of it. But when Jesus gets to be a part of it, you don't have to trust what you do anymore. You trust what he did, you know. And, it, and it's freeing. It should set you free, you know, it's from that fear. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. And it should give anymore. you holy boldness. People keep using that sin thing to say, oh, I'm just not worthy. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough to do this or I'm not worthy to do that. No, you're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, you, you have to be about the Father's business. So, yeah, it, it's a really powerful, it's a powerful revelation. Anyway, let me just pray for everybody here. Lord, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the story of Isaac and Rebecca and Thank you, Lord, that um, we've seen it play out in our own lives. And, Father, we choose to be that, Rebecca, just to leave the world behind and to go with that old servant. And, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you work on us this week, that you um, beautify us, that you smooth out the rough places in us and um, empty us of everything that's worldly, Lord, and uh, make us more and more like Jesus. And, 
Um, Lord, we just thank you for the work that you do, your faithfulness, your love for us, your compassion. And, um, Lord, we choose to be about your business. We choose um, to follow Jesus, and we choose um, life and blessing. And, um, Lord, we thank you that you got us in the way. We're never alone. We're never abandoned. You're always there. You're always working. You're always speaking. You're always teaching. You're always transforming us from glory into glory. And, um, Father, we just expect to continue, and we give you the glory and the thanks for all of it. Amen. Amen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.